On this edition of Dev Talk with Rich and Vin, we welcome in Stuart Pfeffer of Renaissance, who explains far better than Rich or Vin how the design process works for an AI product. Good afternoon. Welcome to issue number, I don't know, somewhere around seven, eight, or nine of Dev Talk with Rich and Vin. I'm Rich Nass. And the other guy there is Vin D'Agostino. How you doing, Vin? Great, Rich. How are you? I'm good. Uh, how many episodes are we? Just ballpark? I, I think we're over 10 now, actually. Really? It, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time goes by. We've talked about tons of things. See, I wondered if we'd, if we'd have 10 things to talk about, but apparently we do. We do. We do. And I got the, more. And the audience agrees because they're listening to what we're saying. You know, they may be calling us knuckleheads but they are listening to us <laughs> they are for sure but um anyway this issue we want to talk about um ai and the design process for ai and to do that we have somebody who's i know there's nobody smarter than you Vin, but he's he's what? definitely definitely smarter than me and that's Stuart Fefford. he is the head of real-time analytics and reality ai for renaissance how you doing Stuart? hey how are you so a uh, little context in your title there, you're the head of real-time analytics and reality AI. Reality AI is the name of the company that you founded, I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was one of the uh, two co-founders of reality okay. AI before it was bought by Renaissance last summer. Okay. So why is the name of the company still in your title? That's a little weird to me. Yeah. Well, so the reality AI is uh, the retaining, Renaissance is going to be retaining this brand and uh, applying it to uh, its, re- its uh, machine learning software products. And so uh, therefore uh, it persists because the product is still around. So running that company wasn't enough to keep you busy. They threw real-time analytics in there as well. Well, you know, real-time analytics is what reality AI does. And there are other solutions available in the market for things like natural language recognition and uh, computer vision and video analysis and sentiment analysis and optimizing your shopping cart and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But what we're all about at Reality AI is sensor information and real-time analysis of sensor data in an embedded context. Cool. Okay. So Van, you and I were having this conversation a few weeks back about the design process of building an AI platform. Where did we end up and figure, hey, we don't know as much as we thought we did? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm so glad that Stuart said that because when people think of AI, they think of the stuff that's flashy in the news right now. But if you think about embedded systems, they were originally designed to deal with sensors and things, uh, sensing the real world around it and doing things to affect the real world around it in in some sort of fashion. And so um, that part of AI is still very real and very valuable and uh, much more easily implemented on the edge than something like uh, facial recognition where you need huge databases, especially if you have a lot of people. And, and um you and I talked about the challenges of doing any AI. And the biggest part is not the cost of the algorithm. It's not even necessarily the cost of the hardware, although you need special hardware for certain algorithms to run efficiently. But the big cost, the big hurdle for everyone is the data collection, both in learning and in the real-time portion of applying the AI and getting those two things to correlate as, as well as you can so that you have better positives and 
and fewer false uh, triggers. And, and that's really where Stuart and Reality AI comes in. And I'll, I'll let him talk about that because that's really his expertise. Yeah, so what I'm going to say to that is the issue often, the way I see it, is that you just end up with this big pile of data. What the heck do you do with it? And Stuart, what do you do with this big pile of yeah. data that you end up with? Yeah, well, so, you know, I guess where, where, where to begin with this? Um, you know, the, the, the difficulty, of course, is that data can be very expensive to collect. And uh, one of the things you can do with it is put it into a tool like Reality AI or- Okay, can uh, I stop you of... right there? Yeah. Why is it expensive to collect the data? I thought that was the easy part. You throw a sensor out there and you have as much as- uh, Yeah, it turns out, turns out not, not so much. Um, it's not just about throwing a sensor out there. It's also about creating the conditions where the uh, phenomenon you're trying to observe uh, can be observed. Uh, you need to be able to collect. You need to be collect data uh, if you're trying to detect an abnormal condition and tell it apart from normal. Well, you need to be able to uh, train your algorithm on multiple examples of the detect of the condition you're trying to detect. That may be something that doesn't happen easily or often. Uh, you need to get data on it occurring in different kinds of circumstances. And normal isn't usually just one thing either. There's normal on Monday and a different normal on Tuesday. And uh, you know, understanding the sources of variation in that data, uh, collecting a data set that can support training an algorithm that will give you a balanced, unbiased outcome. Well, that, that, that takes some work. And um, that is really where the cost comes. All right, this is a little harder than I thought it was going to be, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. So where do you start? What's point zero here? Yeah, so I think the first place you go, always have to start is with what is your problem? What is it you're trying? What is the problem you're trying to solve? What are you trying to detect? And, uh, you know, the traditional way of trying to detect something occurring in an embedded system or any kind of engineered system really is usually uh, you'd start with a physical model. You would uh, do some work to try to understand what's the physics of the phenomenon you are trying to detect and what kinds of sensors are available that might be responsive to those physics, how that uh, phenomenon will be manifested in the in the uh, sensor output. And then you construct a mathematical model that you believe is going to help figure do the detection and then you test it. All right, that's that's the traditional engineering way. Okay, in I the machine. That. Yeah, sure, and that's the way uh, everyone learned how to do it in engineering school, right? Well, so uh, that may be Venn. Did they teach you that at Stevens? <laughs> they did, yes. <laughs> right after tubes, right after tubes class was the. Yeah, so the uh, the first thing to you know understand is that working with machine learning is different. It's there's no physical model here. It's uh, in fact uh, driven by data. And in uh, auto machine learning tools like Reality AI, what they do basically is start off with data. I don't know anything about this data other than this is a pile of examples of an A and those are examples of uh, Bs and how can we construct a, a model that can tell the difference between A and B knowing nothing other than what's in this data. And that, that's what Reality AI does. Um, but to your to your other point, the other things that reality AI do is we take what we learn from that anal uh, that automated analysis of the data, and we can use it to inform uh, other kinds of problems, like 
that data that we collected? How good is it? How much variation is there in that data? Um, are there problems with the data, like sensors that seem to hold a, a single value for so long that we now suspect they might be stuck or a problem in the signal processing chain or something like that? So we, we try and use everything we can learn from those piles of data to inform data collection, to inform hardware design, as well as to construct a machine learning model. You seem to be bordering on what I think is the division between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Because a lot of what you're saying to me is machine learning and just adapting to the conditions, adapting to the machinery. And there's very little artificial intelligence that's needed up to this point. Is that fair and accurate? I'm not sure I know what the difference is between machine learning and artificial intelligence. You ask four people for that answer, you're going to get six different answers. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think uh, AI machine learning, we're certainly using all of these techniques. And um, the main difference in reality, AI and the type of thing we're doing, because like I said, you know, we're about real-time analysis from sensor data. We're not doing computer vision or natural language recognition. So here the challenge is generally providing some kind of what a uh, machine learning guy would call feature extraction, right? We're trying to find the right signal processing transforms that help us understand that data and then constructing a machine learning model on top of it. So it's, uh, it's just sort of a different approach than you would typically use for something like computer vision. Right. I'm going to jump in here just for a second, because I think it's important to sort of point out the difference between knowledge and intelligence. Right. And, and that is you know, true in people, but it's also true in systems. So if you had, let's say you had a flow sensor and you were reading the flow sensor, if flow went to zero, you could read that. That's knowledge that doesn't require artificial intelligence. But to be able to take some other information that is knowledge and use that knowledge to infer something else. Now you're talking about artificial intelligence. So yeah, um, I, I like that. I like that explanation. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes the inference um, lets you do something that's either further away from what you want to sense or in a different way that's cheaper. And sometimes it's a way of inferring something from the signature of a signal that tells you more than what the signal is uh, is measuring. For example, you put an accelerometer on a motor and it looks fine. And then suddenly you see something in the signature of that acceleration that tells you the bearings may be wearing. You're not directly measuring the bearings wearing, but you're seeing something different in the behavior of a signal from, uh, from a sensor. In the case of a flow uh, sensor, you could potentially in some systems eliminate a flow sensor and look at a quantity on the input and the output temperature or pressure or something and determine that the flow is blocked because those two things are changing in their values. And so you're now inferring from, from temperature or pressure or voltage or whatever, that there's a blockage somewhere without directly measuring the flow. And so yeah. that's where inference and in, in artificial intelligence comes in as opposed to directly measuring something, which is just knowledge. Yeah, I, I really like that example then. So, you know, if you come see our booth at a trade show, for example, we'll be at, you know, sensors converge in the end of June this year. You'll see that we'll have a, a stack there where we've, we've got a blower and there's a, a filter on that blower and we can measure the remaining useful life of that filter on the basis of vibration 
taken from an accelerometer attached to the outside of this unit, nowhere near the filter. But it turns out as that filter clogs, the way in which that stack vibrates shifts in a way that is detectable and um, not easily interpreted by a human being just looking at the, the, the output from the accelerometer or even through a mathematical model, but using machine learning, we're able to correlate the change in vibration to the uh, a degree of clog in that filter. Right. And this, and this points out the fact that sometimes you can only get that information if you're sampling at a very high rate which makes it more advantageous to do it locally on a small device than to push things to the cloud because you, the bandwidth required to get that much data up to the cloud, especially if you want to continuously do it so you're streaming, is prohibitive. Very true. Good stuff, gentlemen. I have to say that one of the reasons we wanted Stuart to come on is this is a little bit of a preview for a webinar that he'll be leading that's called Apply Machine Learning Effectively to Sensor-Based Systems. And in the description of this podcast, you'll find a link to how you can register for that. But it, it is really cool stuff and um, it's pretty amazing. So join us next week and join Vin and I in a few more weeks where we debate some other cool topic on DevTalk with Rich and Vin. Thanks, Stuart, and thanks, Vin. Oh, Thank thanks, you. Rich. Thank you, Stuart.